Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you and I are exempt from suffering. Sometimes we paint a picture, us preachers paint a picture, oh, if you come to Jesus Christ, nothing, nothing bad will ever happen. Nothing will, everything will be good in your life. You're going to have a bed of roses, you know, and everything's going to be great. There's not going to be any stress. There's not going to be any pressure. There's not going to be any suffering. We paint this picture, and sometimes we are doing a disservice. Because Jesus himself made it clear, in the world, you're going to suffer. You're going to have trouble. You're going to face conflict. You're going to face chaos because you live in a sin-cursed world. And I'm going to tell you today, sometimes you get sick because you live in a sinful world. It doesn't mean that you have been practicing sin. It doesn't mean that you have been doing something wrong. It just affects you. You live in a world that is fallen. And because of the, the fallen world we live in, sometimes we get sick. I want you to turn to James, the first chapter. We're going to be going through the book of James. Uh, God has kind of just laid this on my heart and we're going to be divided up into six series or six different, uh, not six series, uh, six subs from this series on the book of James. And, and so this morning, I'm going to be doing the introduction and the first part of this series. And then uh, we're, we've got some others that are going to be pitching in and helping and going through this. And we, we're going to do things a little bit differently. Uh, for, well, we're just going to try to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. But I want to say thank you. Thank you for those that were able. Not everybody could do it, but those that were able to participate Friday. It was a last-minute thing. I got the phone call Thursday. And so I just called and, and put it on Facebook or had somebody put it on Facebook about Friday. But I want to thank you for the response and how you were willing to give your time and your energy. And as Kim said, listen, when you give, you may not always be able to give your time or your energy, but when you give your resources, whether it's financially or any other resource that you have, it always, you're a part, you are a part of what's going on. You're a part of what's going on. So you had a hand and what was going on. And the amazing thing about that is that while we were out there working, I got to meet some great people that I never met before, never seen before. And, and, and God just has a way of putting you at just the right place at the right time to, to share the gospel or to help someone. And, and so Friday we were out there working and I had a chainsaw and the blade had, uh, the chain had come off. And so I was headed to the truck to put the blade, I mean the chain back on there. And this guy pulls up in this car and he says, I need an electrician. And I just looked at him and I said, well, I'm an electrician, but I'm cutting trees right now. <laughs> he said, they will not put power back on my house until it is fixed. And I said, uh, he said, the mask is tore off. And anyway, so I said, well, I'll go over there and look at it. And uh, so I went over there and looked at it. And I told him, I said, if I can get to it, I said, I will come back this afternoon and I will do my best to get the thing fixed. And anyway, just to give you, you know, and it's, this was a God. You say, well, why do you say that? Because God put me at just the right place at the right time to be able to help somebody. And, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, the guy, it was, it's, it's, and come to find out that somehow they're, I don't know if they're kin with uh uh, Wayne or what, but, you know, I, I decided Wayne must be a politician. <laughs> because no matter where Wayne goes, no matter where he goes, he knows everybody, or they know him. And, man, he got there on the job site. He had gone to the dentist. He gets there on the job site, and we're working away. And he just, he, he just knows everybody, and everybody knows him. And I'm thinking, how does he know all these folks? 
And then we go yesterday, the timeouters went to, to Brunswick. We go to Brunswick to the old time, old time country buffet, whatever it's called, old time buffet or whatever it is. And Wayne walks in and Wayne is talking to everybody for 15 minutes. And he knows people from, uh, you know, I don't know. And I'm thinking he's a politician. You know, he just knows everybody. Not really, Wayne, not really. You're not a politician. But anyway, I love that. I thought, man, that is so neat. Uh, God is so awesome and God is good. And uh, I want to share a passage of Scripture from John, or from not John, James, this morning. And we're going to be doing this series, and the Lord has laid it up on my heart. And we're going to be talking about a subject this morning that is not real comfortable with a lot of people. And it's something that a lot of people just can't seem to resolve. And because they can't resolve it in their minds, uh, a lot of people don't follow Christ. So I want you to really listen this morning to what I'm going to be sharing. And, uh, and so we're going to be going, like I said, to the book of James, and we're going to be starting in the first chapter. And, uh, and I'm only going to do a few verses this morning. Uh, it's probably the shortest message I've ever written. It's less than a page. But you know what that means. So don't go by that. But anyway, but they do have the clock running anyway. Let me ask you this morning. Let me ask you this question this morning. What would you have done? What would you have done? And you're thinking, what are you talking about? Follow me. The church, the church is in its second decade of existence. And the believing Jews have been dispersed because of persecution And the central church, which was in Jerusalem, the central church, which was in Jerusalem, seemed to be in danger of losing its influence. Because all of a sudden, the Jews have been dispersed, and the centrality or the local church there in Jerusalem has gone out, and all of a sudden, it seemed to be losing its influence. So, What does James, the brother of Jesus, who is the leader of the church at this time, one of the pivotal leaders of the church at this time, so what does James do? James begins to write a letter to the Jewish churches as a guide. Now get this, as a guide to help Jewish Christians. I want to read this slow because I really want you to get this. He writes a letter to the Jewish churches, and I say Jewish because look at what he says in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So the letter is really geared to the Jews who have been dispersed out of Jerusalem and even out of Israel. And so he writes them a letter as a guide to help Jewish Christians navigate cultures. Navigate cultures with completely different norms and their beliefs than those that existed in Jerusalem. Now his writings apply in today's world where social norms and beliefs often differ from those of you and I as Christians. Now, I don't know about you, but I've noticed in the last, really the last 10 years, 
how that culture has really shifted. I mean, it's different. Today is completely different than it was 10, 20, and absolutely 30 years ago. It has absolutely shifted, and it is completely different. And, I, and, and I'm, I'm being honest. I struggle with the shift. I struggle with relating to the shift in culture and to the relating to some of the thought patterns and the beliefs of our, of, of our society and that's in the world today. And I'm thinking, where do you get that? Where do you think that? How, how, do, you, how do you believe that? And, and I really struggle with that because it's different from my culture. And so James is writing this letter to the Jews have been, who have been dispersed, and they're living in different cultures. They're navigating through the different cultures than they were used to in Jerusalem, and they're navigating through different belief patterns or different belief systems than what they believed when they were in Jerusalem. And so he writes this letter to guide them. And I believe this letter applies to you and I today. I believe that if we will read the letter in its proper context and what James is trying to tell us, it will help us navigate through the culture shifting of the world today and how that you and I can live a victorious life in the world in which we live. I believe that. Now, during the first decade of the church, the church was mostly dominated by Jews. Thank God for water. During the first decade of the church, the church was mostly dominated by Jews who knew the Old Testament scripture and they were still able to participate in the complex Jewish social structure. But during the second decade, many non-Jews or Gentiles Many non-Jews became believers beginning when Peter was on the rooftop and received a vision from God, and Cornelius was told by an angel, go fetch Peter. Now, they didn't use the word fetch, but that's southern. Go fetch Peter. And Peter leaves his confines and his comfort of his surroundings because up to this time, Peter has been sharing the gospel with Jews. And Cornelius is not a Jew, he's a Gentile. And God says to Cornelius, who is a praying man, he prays to God, he believes in God. And God says, go send for Peter. And so he sends his servant, go get Peter and bring him here. And God tells Peter, don't you ever, don't you ever, Declare what is what I clean to be unclean and gives them a vision. And so Peter goes, and at this point, the gospel begins to spread to the Gentiles. And then, of course, following this, you have Paul or Saul. Saul, who was so against Christianity, he persecuted the church. In fact, he's one of the reasons the church began to leave Jerusalem and go out because of the persecution that they were getting. And, of course, Saul is transformed by the power of Jesus, and his name is changed to Saul, and now Saul is a missionary sharing the gospel to the Gentile world. And so it's during this time that the mostly Jewish church became now dominated by a lot 
of Gentile believers. So during that second decade, many of these believers began to accept Christ. And James, who was one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church, probably stayed in Jerusalem instead of doing very much traveling. So James writes a letter to the Jews living outside of Jerusalem to establish the Jews in applicable truth and conduct and to encourage them in their journey of faith. Now, as we go into this first section, we're going to talk about a subject that's not comfortable with a lot of people. And it's a, suffer, it's, it's a topic that, we, that I call suffering. Suffering. Now, follow me. Suffering is something most of us seek to avoid. I don't look to suffer. I'm not looking. I am not looking to suffer. I don't want to suffer. Do you? No. I don't know any person in this world that really wants to suffer. So we avoid. We will do our best to avoid any kind of suffering. But by doing so, but by doing so, we avoid the many benefits that result from enduring and overcoming trials. I mean, notice, for example, in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, it is what is known as the, the faith chapter, the, uh, the, 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 the heroes of our faith. It is known as faith in action. And notice in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 35, where he talks about all these prophets and all these men and all of these women. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. But then he goes from there and he says, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now, I, I really want you to get this picture, how that we are surrounded. He goes on in, the, in chapter 12, how that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, that there were people that were before us, that they were suffered persecution. They suffered different types of persecution. And so we look at this chapter, and if we're not careful, we'll think, why in the world does God allow such things to happen to believers? You see, suffering is not a pleasant subject that you and I like to discuss. But there is a purpose for this subject that James writes about. But before we get into it, I believe it's in proper order that we put this in proper context. 
We need to understand the nature of God. We find in 1 John, the fourth chapter in verse 8 and verse 16, that John states that God is love. God's very nature is love. Everything that God does, he does out of love. God can't do anything out of hate. He can't do anything. God cannot hate anyone. God cannot hate you. God cannot hate anyone in the world. In fact, if you want to know the truth, God doesn't even hate the devil. Because the devil was his creation. Not that he created the devil like he is now. He was the, he was the number one angel in heaven. He was the one that led worship in heaven. God created him. God can't hate anything that he created. God doesn't hate you. And no matter how bad you may have been and no matter how bad you think you may have been, God loves you. God loves all of mankind. And the Bible makes it clear that God's will is not for anyone, anyone, anyone. Do you hear that? Anyone to perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to perish. That doesn't, you know, you gotta get this. God doesn't pick a, a select few and say, well, I'm gonna save you, I'm gonna save you, I'm gonna save you. Oh, I'm not gonna save you, no. No, I'm not gonna save you, no. No, God's desire is for all of mankind to come to repentance. God doesn't want any person in this world to perish. We need to make that clear. God is love. God is love. His very nature is love. God is a loving God who sacrificed his only begotten son so he could receive us and adopt us as his children. God is good. And God desires what is good for you and I. You gotta get that. And you got to believe that with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, that God is good. But even though God is good, suffering exists. Suffering, God is good, suffering exists, and is the natural course of life since the fall of mankind. I want you to get that. There is no contradiction in the statement that God is good and suffering exists. Suffering exists, but that does not mean that God is not good. And there are some today that choose not to follow Jesus or choose to quit following Jesus because they cannot resolve in their understanding that a good God would allow suffering to people, especially those who are good and don't deserve it. It's the truth. Sometimes it's hard for me to comprehend. Why are they suffering the way they're such a good person? Man, they love God. Man, they have a relationship with God, but God, yet they're still suffering. And sometimes it's hard to wrap our minds around the thought that God is good, yet still allows people to suffer. And people just quit following Jesus because they can't resolve that understanding. And some never follow Jesus because they just don't understand how a good God would ever allow a world to suffer. But you got to understand, suffering exists 
and is a natural course of life since the fall of mankind. So when John, or not John, I'm sorry, James, so when James opens up his letter here, he opens up talking about suffering. He calls it the trials of life, the trials of life. Notice what he says in verse 2. Consider it, if you put it up there, consider it pure joy. I know, I, I, I told you wrong. <laughs> It'll get there in just a minute. So he begins to talk about suffering and consider it pure joy when you what? Fall or when you face trials of many kinds. Now first, when James is writing, when James is writing about suffering, he writes about it mainly in terms of persecution for the cause of Jesus Christ, okay? When he writes about facing trials of many kinds, he's writing, he's writing concerning you and I suffering because of our faith in Jesus. Second, the assumption that a good God would not allow good people, and I want to get this right, to suffer is contradictory to the New Testament. The Scripture presents suffering as both something natural happening in a sinful world. Jesus himself said, in the world, you will have trouble. It's natural. It's going to happen. You may be godly, you may be born again, you may be living your life, you may be a prayerful person, but I want you to know, because you live in a sinful world, you are going to face troubles, trials. Sometimes you're going to be suffering. We need to understand that. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you and I are exempt from suffering. Sometimes we paint a picture, us preachers paint a picture, oh, if you come to Jesus Christ, nothing, nothing bad will ever happen. Nothing more, everything will be good in your life. You're going to have a bed of roses, you know, and everything's going to be great. There's not going to be any stress. There's not going to be any pressure. There's not going to be any suffering. We paint this picture And sometimes we are doing a disservice because Jesus himself made it clear in the world you're going to suffer. You're going to have trouble. You're going to face conflict. You're going to face chaos because you live in a sin-cursed world. And I'm going to tell you today, sometimes you get sick because you live in a sinful world. It doesn't mean that you have been practicing sin. It doesn't mean that you have been doing something wrong. It just affects you. You live in a world that is fallen, and because of the fallen world we live in, sometimes we get sick. God doesn't put that on us. Do you hear me? God doesn't put that on us. We put that on ourselves when we fail, when we disobey God back. Well, it wasn't really you. It was Adam and Eve. That did it, so we can blame them anyway. So the scriptures present suffering as both something natural 
in a, happening in a sinful world, and also as a tool, also as a tool that God sometimes uses for his benefit and for ours. You got to get that. Jesus made it clear in his teachings that we should expect suffering at times. Now, suffering does not mean that God is not good. It means that God does not behave as we want him to. Can I say that again? Suffering does not mean that God is not good. It just means that God does not behave as we want him to. And thirdly, God desires for you and I to remain faithful to him when we do suffer. God desires for you and I to remain faithful to him when you and I, to him when you and I do suffer. And even be joyful and thankful. So James is writing a practical letter here. And James may have understood. James may have understood that unmet expectations were often the source of discontentment and belief. Unbelief, I mean. And knew that if followers only expected good things to happen in their lives as followers, they would soon be disappointed and many would lose faith. He knew that if they expected suffering, they would not be disappointed. So let's look at what he wrote. And James, there it is. Consider it pure joy. I get that. Consider it pure joy. Really? Consider it pure joy. I don't see anything joyful in what I'm feeling right now. I don't see anything. Oh, I don't consider anything joyful about what I'm facing. But here, James writes, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, you got to understand what's going on. The Jews have been dispersed. And in the social dilemma in Jerusalem, the Jews could pretty much be a Christian. They could be Christian and still enjoy the, the comforts of the, the social lifestyle. They could still go to the temple. They could still, you know, do, 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 do that which they were used to and raised in. They could still sell their goods. They could still be a part of the guild. Now, if you don't know what a guild was during that time, it was like what we call today a trade union, that if you were going to sell your merchandise, if you were going to sell your craft, if you were going to sell your gift or what you were good at, you had to become a member of the guild, the, the craft. You had to become a part of that society. And so Jews, if you were a part of that uh, society or that, that craft, you could sell your work. But all of a sudden, because of the persecution and because what began to happen in Jerusalem and the Jews were dispersed and what began to happen to outside Jerusalem, the Jews were no longer the believing Jews. The believing Jews were no longer able to sell their goods because no one would buy them. They wouldn't buy them. 
Oh, you're a Christian. You're a believer. You believe in the way. You follow Jesus. And because, you know, they would kick them out to the curb. They would kick them out on the street and say, no, we are not going to let you participate in the marketplace. We're not going to let you sell our goods. We're not going to let you be a part of this because you believe in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the Jews are suffering because of the message of Jesus. And so James writes and he says, consider it pure joy. I'm thinking, really? Consider pure joy that you just lost your job and you can't work and provide for your family. Really? You gotta understand what James is writing. If you go back to uh, the King James Version, it says, count it all joy. And the word count and the word consider means take into account. Take into account. It's a financial term. It's a banking term to count the cost, to count the cost. In other words, what what he is saying here, he said, listen, you need to, to recognize that what you're facing and what you're going through, you need to understand it's something that God is doing for you. God's gonna take the bad God didn't do this. Now, God didn't do this, but God is going to take the bad and he's going to work it for your good. Notice what he says. Consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. I want you to understand what you're facing right now is gonna develop you. It's gonna grow you. It's gonna mature you. I just have to be honest. When I'm going through the suffering, when I'm going through, I, don't, I have a tendency not to look at what it's doing for me. I have the tendency of what it's doing against me. Don't you? When you get sick, you're suffering or whatever it is that happened, and, and you're going through that, and you're thinking, God, you know, I don't see any good that's going to come out of this. But Paul is saying, I mean, James is writing, he said, listen, you need to look at this differently. You need to look at your persecution. You need to look at your trial. You need to look at your suffering differently. Look at it in a way of what God is going to do for you, not what God is doing against you. God is going to take the bad. He's going to take the suffering in your life, and he's going to develop your faith, your maturity, your growth level. He's going to develop it in your life. Verse 4, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So I'm learning and notice I used the term, I'm learning. It's not that I've learned. I'm learning that when I begin to go through some difficult moments in my life as a Christian, that I need to refocus not on what's the bad that's happening, not in what's going on in my life so much as far as the bad, but I need to refocus and look at it. What is God trying to do in me? What is God trying to do for me? How is God trying to grow me? How is God trying to make me complete? How is God trying to bring me to a level of maturity where God can use me in a supernatural way? In fact, if you go to Ephesians, the second chapter, you'll find there's three kinds of works that God does. There's the work that God does for you, 
It's Ephesians chapter 2, I believe, verse 8 and 9 or somewhere right in there. It's the work that God does for you, salvation. God did all the work for your salvation. Jesus Christ did it all. You don't do anything for salvation except accept, uh, accept Christ and believe. Then there's the work that God does in you. There's a work that God does in you. And it's during the suffering, it's during the trials, it's during the chaos of life that God is working in you to bring you to maturity, to grow you to a place so God can work through you. That's the third work that God wants to do in you or through you, for you, in you, and through you. And so God is working. I've discovered sometimes something there are times that God can't use me because I am not at a level that God can use me. I'm not mature enough. I, I, I shared with you, I, I was watching the news this morning and I, I was kind of struck at all that on Fox News they had this priest that came on there and he wrote a book about exorcism and, and demons and, and stuff and I thought, man, that's kind of unusual for this priest to to write a book on exorcism and how that more exorcism are happening today and, and all of that stuff. And now I don't go around looking for devils. I'm gonna tell you right now, I, I do everything I can to avoid the devil and don't look for him. But there are times that God will place them in your path for God to use you to deliver someone. And God did that to me one time. God did that more than once. <laughs> But I remember the first time that ever happened to me, I was immature. I was immature. Thank God for somebody that was mature, a little more mature than. And God, at this moment, began to work in me. He began to grow me. He began to teach me something about dealing with evil spirits and dealing with all that stuff. God knew that I was going to be a pastor one day. God knew that I was going to be in ministry and that I was going to need to know how to operate and how to be used of him to, 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 for, for people to be delivered. And so God knew that. And so God began to train me. And as he began to train me, that there were some very difficult moments in my life, some very difficult moments in my life that I was facing and that I was going through. But as I was facing those very difficult moments following Jesus all the time that God was teaching me and training me and growing me to do something supernatural through me. And so a lot of times when we face suffering in our lives, we need to look at it at a different view. God, you're not working against me. You are working for me. And even though right now I may be suffering and be going through some things in my spiritual life, I need to realize, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Count it pure joy because what you're doing is you're developing me. You're developing my faith. You're developing my maturity. You're developing my level so that I can be the, become the man or woman of God that you want me to become. That's why he writes this. And then he, he tells us in verse 5, and we'll come back to it later on, but he says, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Have you ever caught yourself praying, and when you were praying, you caught yourself praying against what God was doing? I've done that. I was going through a severe test in my life, and I mean, it was severe, and I've shared it with you before, and I'm not going to go to you, but it was a severe test in my life, and, and I began to pray, God, remove it. God, take it out of the way. God, move. God, get, I mean, just get rid of it. And God just wouldn't get rid of it. 
And then God taught me, son, you're praying opposite of what you asked me to do. Because before you were praying this prayer, you were saying, God, I want more. I want more. I want more. I want to know you. I want to know you. I want you to use me. I want you to use me. Well, if I'm going to use you, I got to do a work in you so I can do a work through you. And here, all of a sudden, you're praying without wisdom. So when you're going through those things, begin to ask wisdom, God, what are you trying to teach me? Lord, what are you trying to show me? God, what are you trying to do in me so you can work through me your power in my life? And so I've discovered, instead of praying, God, take it away, I had to begin to pray, God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to grow me so that you can use me to be the man of God, the person of God that you want me to be? So we need to pray for wisdom. Let's jump down to verse 12 right quick. Notice what he says. He doesn't just stop there, but he goes on down and he says, Blessed is the man. Oh, the joy of the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Stop focusing on the situation. Begin to focus on what God's going to do. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive, not maybe, not, oh, I might give you a blessing. He will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Suffering endures for the night. But joy comes in the morning. Turn to chapter 5. And I want you to know. So James is writing to this group of people who are suffering. And he's telling them to count it pure joy. Because if you will endure the trial and you persevere, you will grow. You'll become the man or woman of God that God wants you to become. And you're going to receive a crown of life if you persevere. Persevere. And then in chapter 5, he kind of gives us some tangible, applicable things to live. Be patient. Be patient. Then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for for the autumn and the spring rains? You too, when you're suffering, when you're facing trials, when you're facing the chaos of life, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. I can believe that means twofold. I do believe the Lord is coming back and I believe it's nearer than it ever has been before. But I also believe it has a twofold meaning that Be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. The Lord's victory is near. Don't grumble. Now, he's he's telling us how to act, how to conduct ourselves. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. And then he says, brothers, as an example, 
as an example of patience in the face of suffering. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider them, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So you, you, you see what God, what James is writing through and speaking through James here? He's saying, listen, you're going to face suffering in life. But count it pure joy when you face those trials because it's going to grow you. Persevere. And in the midst of the trial, be patient. Stand firm. Don't grumble against your brother. Don't complain. That's my tendency, though, Lord. My tendency is to complain when things are not going my way. But here it gives me some construction. Now get this. Get this. Do you want to be a light to an unbelieving world? What if you're going through a trial and all you're doing is complaining and all these unbelievers hear you? Do you think they're going to want to follow Jesus? If all you're doing is complaining about what you're facing and what you're going through, and all you do is complain, complain, complain because I'm suffering or whatever, do you think they won't want to become Children of God? No. So James is trying to tell the church, the Jews, listen, when you suffer, you're suffering because of your faith in Christ. And God is, is, is growing you and maturing you. But I want you to know during this process, during this suffering, I want you to pay, be patient. I want you to persevere. I want you to stand for him because you know the Lord is coming. The Lord's victory is coming. You know that. You know that. You know he's coming. But you just be patient and you persevere and you stand firm and don't grumble. And don't complain because there's an unbelieving world out there that needs to know the joy that you have inside of you in the midst of the chaos. That even though you're suffering, you're joyful. You're thankful. Now, God never tells us to be thankful for everything. Did you hear me? He did not say be thankful for everything. He said, in everything, be thankful. I am not thankful when I have a kidney stone. I am not thankful for a kidney stone. I hope to God I never have another. Well, I got one. I just went to the doctor, and he said, you got one there. He said, didn't we bust it up? I said, yeah, you busted it up. He said, it ain't moved. I'm thinking, oh, no. <laughs> I'm not thankful for the kidney stone. But in everything, give thanks. I'm thankful, God, that that stone hasn't moved. Now I'm thankful that it has stayed in its place and it hadn't moved. You see, there's a difference. Notice what, and I'm closing with this, what Peter says. If you'll bring it up on the board there, can you bring your friends? Um, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange happening to you. But rejoice. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. 
If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of the glory and of God rest upon you. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that. I need you to change it. <laughs> That's why I have the Bible here too. Did you change it? <laughs> Sometimes technology is great when it works. First Peter. Read <laughs> Sorry. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Look at verse 19. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And so James and Peter is writing to us, listen, understand that you're going to suffer, but count it pure joy when you face those trials because it's in those trials and testings that God is developing and growing in you, growing you so he can do a mighty work through you. And in the process of all that you're going through, be patient. Stand firm. Don't mumble. Don't complain. Don't be a meddler. But let God be glorified in your life in the midst of what God is doing. Boy, that speaks volumes to me. It speaks volumes. So I'm not going to tell you this morning that if you become a Christian, you'll have nothing but a life of bed and roses. You'll have nothing but a life of leisure and pleasure. I'm going to tell you that if you become a Christian, you're probably going to face some sufferings in this life because Jesus himself said you're going to have troubles. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world is what he said. He said, I have overcome the world. And because he overcame the world, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I can overcome. I can persevere. I can look at the situation, count it all joy, because God is working in me so God can work through me to glorify his name in a world that needs to know the message of Jesus. Would you stand? I know this message has been different today, but I believe it's very practical, very practical in our life that we have today. I was, somebody sent me an article, and I'm not saying this. In fact, I'd love for all of you to read it. I'd love for y'all to read it. It was an article that stated why pastors are now going bivocational. Why pastors are all now, not all, a lot of pastors are quitting full-time ministry as far as pastoring a church, and they're going bivocational. 
And I read that article, and I thought, man, there's a lot of truth to this article. Because I thought to myself, I'll be honest with you. I thought to myself, why don't I just quit being a full-time pastor and go get a full-time job? Because I can minister on a job. I can share the gospel on a job. I can be a light on the job. Now, that's not what God called me to do. Don't think that's where I'm going or what I'm going to do. But I understood the article and where the article, the writer was coming from. How that pastors are quitting full-time ministry and going bivocational. Because the pressures they're under and the things they're having to deal with, especially since the COVID pandemic and all that stuff. I mean, the whole church has changed. The whole way of doing church has changed. And uh, you know, it's, it's all changed. But I read that. And it's during this time, I'm telling you, as a pastor, the last year and a half has been the most trying time as a pastor. And I've been pastoring for a long time. And you say, well, you know, you kept getting a paycheck. Yeah, and it ain't even about a paycheck. Well, you know, you were taken care of. Yeah, I was taken care of. It had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with rethinking and retooling and rethinking about ministry. I mean, it was just completely different. And it's been the toughest year of ministry. And it would have been easy for me to complain and grumble. And there probably was times I did, and I'm sorry. My point to saying this is, even though it's been a very trying time, God has been growing me. And he's been growing me in a way that I never thought that he would do. Sometimes I wish it would go back to the way it was, but it's never going to go back to the way it was. It's never going to go back. But you know what? God, during this time, began to grow me inside, teach me, and develop me. And even though it was probably one of the most trying times of my ministry, God all the time was working back of house, growing me, because he's teaching me, Randy, I'm getting ready to do something supernatural in these last days. And what I'm doing is I'm preparing you. And when God was preparing me, he was preparing you. He was preparing you. And he's still preparing you and me both for what he's wanting to do. So when I look at it that way, I can say, I can count it all joy. I can count it all joy because God is working in me. Because he's getting ready to do something through me to reach a lost and dying world that desperately needs Jesus. And so my attitude and my outlook today is I want it to be different. I want yours to be different. When you're suffering and you're going through chaos and crisis in your life and and things are falling apart, and I want you to be able to say, God, I, I count it all joy because, God, you're growing me to become the man and woman of God to reach a lost and dying world that needs the gospel of Jesus desperately. That's where God's taking us. And so I I don't ever want to be a complaining Christian. 
I don't want to be a meddler. I don't want to be a mumbler. I want to say, Lord, you do the work in me so you can do the work through me to save a lost and dying world. Would you bow your head? Father, I don't know where everybody's at today in their life. I know that everyone in this building has suffered. They've been in crisis. God, they've been in situations that they didn't ask for, they don't want to be in. But God, since they're in that situation, God, I want you to grow them. I want you to change their perspective. I want you to change the way they think. I want you to change the way they look at what they're going through. And I want you to begin to change it in such a way that they begin to consider it pure joy. That they begin to consider it pure joy because God, all of a sudden, they see that you're working for them. You're working for them so you can work through them. You're working for them so you can deliver their family, so you can minister to their family. You're working for them and not against them, God. You're working for them so you can work through them a might and a power and a grace that the world needs to experience. And so, Lord, I pray today, would you change our outlook? Would you change the way we think? Would you change the way we see things, God? And help us, Lord, that in the midst of suffering, it's not always going to be that way. It's not always going to be that way. But in the midst of that moment, God, that we'll be considerate pure joy. Oh, God, that it changes everything about our lives so the world may know that you're a good God, that you're a loving God, that you loved us so much that you didn't want anyone to perish, but that all would come to repentance. And that's why you sent your son to die on a cross. So Lord, would you speak to us today? Would you touch our hearts and draw us ever closer to you, even in the midst of suffering? Let our eyes be fixed on you today. I ask it in your name, Jesus. God, I believe you're at work. God, we're going to sing this song, and we're going to worship you for a moment, Lord. And as we're worshiping you today, God, I pray, God, if there's one that wants to come to the altar, that they'll feel comfortable coming and saying, Lord, show me. Teach me your ways. Teach me your ways, Lord, so that I may know you. God, teach me your ways so that I may know you. Even in the midst of the test, teach me your ways, Lord. I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the St. Mary's Church Podcast. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today or have more questions about following Jesus, we have pastors who want to talk with you. Connect with us at stmaryschurch.net or through social media on Facebook or Instagram. We can't wait to hear what Jesus is doing in you.